This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 2. This is Writing Excuses, the Campbellian monomyth slash here at the Thousand Faces slash the hero's journey slash yes, we're finally doing it. <laughs> Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry and we can't possibly fit it all in. And we are finally, at long last, that smart. No, we're not because we're using the cliff notes on it. <laughs> we're yes. cheating. Yes, we are. Well, we're cheating because the original... Uh, uh, the original monomyth says things like, This first stage of the mythological journey signifies that destiny has summoned the hero and transferred his spiritual center of gravity from within the pale of his society to a zone unknown. <laughs> yes, if wow. you uh, weren't with us many years ago, right? That's a fine started, example of transparent prose. Yeah. <laughs> right when we started years and years ago, we um we said, hey, let's do a thing on the Hero of the Thousand Faces. Um, <laughs> we'll all read it and then talk about it. And then we went to the Hero of the Thousand Faces, and Howard, being the chumpy, has actually read it. Dan and I had read it before. I just want to point out, I was not here and did not agree yes. to this. We started reading it and realized, wow, this is really dense prose. And then Refusal we never got of the summons converts the adventure into its negative. <laughs> yes. Um, the thing about the Campbellian monomyth, or the, the hero's journey, we're going to talk more about the concept of the hero's journey, because Campbell wasn't the only one who talked about it. And uh, we want to learn to apply it to our stories, and how to use it in our stories, and when not to use it in our stories. It is very useful um, as, as a narrative arc, because um, it... It's something that Campbell noticed, and other um, ethnographers and folklorists discovered. A lot of stories throughout human um, history, regardless of culture, follow the same concept. All these kind of epic stories about the hero who um, leaves their home uh, and then travels into the underworld and then returns home with newfound knowledge um, happens time and time again. And so there's lots of discussion about why this is part of our you know, national, our, our human conscious. What is it that makes us want to do it? So let's talk about it. First, let's identify the pieces. Um, I just kind of went over it in short. Let's go over it in longer. Howard, why don't you just go kind of down the list of what happens? Um, uh, gosh, uh, there's there's the, you know, establishing of, of yes. norm normalcy, a call to adventure, uh, a... Meeting a mentor. Yeah, meeting, meeting a, a mentor, mentor, a threshold crossing... Uh, road of Trials, uh, Helpers Along the Road, um, there's a, a moment at which uh, the prize is attained, uh, there's a return, yep. uh, return to normalcy, uh, and another threshold crossing uh, you know, on the way back, yeah. uh, and, and a homecoming. Uh, Campbell was very big on the whole concept of these thresholds, yeah. um, which to him are you know, passing from one form of the story into another form of the story. Other people who have identified it don't talk about the thresholds as much. No, but I think other people use different yeah. language different to describe language. the same yeah. thing. Because you can talk about the mice quotient yeah. and you know the threshold mm -hmm. is the milieu, that is the moment when you leave home and yeah. the story ends when you return home. Or Dan's seven point outline where you've got the, uh, the, the, the pinch and yep. the turn mm -hmm. are both uh, thresholds. One of the things that I find fascinating about all of this is that we've seen it done so many times uh, that that we don't just. I mean, when Campbell was writing this, what he was yeah. saying is there is something in this that resonates with us as humans, which is why right. it works. Um, as writers, 
the temptation is to use this because it right. resonates and it works. But beyond that, uh, I think that it's successful when you turn things on their head. Mm -hmm. One of the most recent uh, solid examples of this is the threshold crossing in How to Train Your Dragon, where the normalcy is, we're Vikings and we fight dragons. Right. And the threshold crossing is when he is out in the wild, is faced with a dragon, and frees it. Right. And I had a huge emotional response to this because I recognized it as a threshold crossing that was backwards. Yeah, um, that's, that's was, pretty awesome to point out. It was wonderful. Well, one of the great things that that movie in particular does is it shows the threshold return, mm -hmm. which is something yes. that you don't see a lot anymore, right. honestly. Um, you know, return with the prize, yeah, and the prize of, is rejected. Part of the classic uh, you know, hero's journey is that you attain the prize, but that attaining it has changed you in some way. And when you make your homecoming and you come home, you yourself are different. Well, yeah. Harry Potter is a classic Classic yes. Example of this. It starts, you know, with yep. him at home, and the threshold crossing is quite literal yeah. when he leaves the house. And every book ends with him returning. Right. Now, I do want to point out that by Campbell's definitions, these are not the thresholds. Mm, okay. You're enough. defining them as, as we would typically, the thresholds for him are actually what you would call, um, well, they're, they're pinches, they're resolution moments, or, you know, like um, where. For one of his thresholds is when you are swallowed into hell, is one of them. Leaving the leave coming is not crossing the threshold. That is um, as is is just part of the call to the, the call yeah, to adventure. And his thresholds are things like when you're resurrected, when you die and come back to life, okay. or things like this. The threshold is a change in um, in like. The, see, with Harry Potter, yeah. I'd argue that the the call to adventure is the. You know, well, Harry, you're a wizard, is our yes. call to adventure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the threshold crossing is like the sorting hat. You know, when he's there suddenly surrounded by magic, you know, arriving at Hog Hogwarts. That, that felt thresholdy to me. No, I mean, we... because Campbell would call the threshold when he descends down to fight Voldemort. Well, this is, uh, well... That's uh... the thing. Cam no, Campbell uh, says specifically, okay. um, with the personifications of his destiny to guide and aid him, the hero goes forward in his adventure until he comes to the threshold guardian at the entrance to the zone of magnified power. Yep. And I would say that the zone of magnified power is Hogwarts. Mm, okay, we're sense, getting into sorting hat descriptions. Totally I disagree completely. Studying this a lot, that would be <laughs> down below when he is um, the, the door he gets through to fight Voldemort. Well, one of, one of but the... Isn't that the belly of the whale? Um, that's one of the thresholds. See, the whale's belly is, is a threshold. That's one of the shorthands that uh, Campbell used all the time was whale belly, yeah. brother battle, things now, like that. Now, here's the thing. This is what we're getting into. Um, the, and and we, should get, we should talk about this. The, the monomyth is not a guide on how to write a story. And that's mm -hmm. the problem we're getting into. Yeah. Um, the monomyth is it's a It's not even a good guide for how to deconstruct a story, which is what we're, <laughs> yeah. what we're arguing It's a over. description of um, stories that have happened. And um, key points that happen in the story frequently. Um, and you get into trouble, I found, and this is kind of one of my personal hobby horses, when, when um, writers assume that the, um, the hero's journey is a guide to writing a fantasy novel. And then they will go and try to check all the things on the list. And sure, a lot of them happen. The, the hero is frequently an orphan, um, but with noble parentage. Uh, so it's the, the son of a king who's lost in the wilderness, like Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you start to put these things in. And the thing is, when you start to shoehorn too many of them in, you realize that it doesn't actually create a structure for a story. 
Um, yeah. For instance, Campbell was very interested in what we would call the climax of the story um, and things like that. And, you know, if you just go down the list, uh, I, I've said before that I feel um, Lucas lost his way a little bit with episode one. He was a student of Campbell. He loved Campbell. He actually has done things, you know, he's a mentor. He knew Campbell personally. Um, and he started shoehorning things in, such as the virgin birth. Big part of the Campbellian model myth. And Lucas didn't have a virgin birth in his story, so he's like, well, got to have a virgin birth. Did not fit the Star Wars narrative at all. Mm -hmm. And it felt like this big plunk, here it is. Um, and, and so be careful. You can use this thing. You can learn from this thing. But don't make it a checklist. Yeah, the, like you said, it's, it's a bad guide for writing a story because... If you take the classic stories and boil them down to the point where they're easily mappable onto, you know, the little chart of the hero's journey, then at that point they're indistinguishable. Then The Matrix and Star Wars and The Wizard of Oz all have the same plot. Yeah. You have to expand it beyond this model in order for it to be unique and interesting. Yeah, let, me, let me wordsmith that statement just a moment. I, I don't think it's a bad guide for writing a story. I think it's a horrible checklist for writing a story. Don't use it as a checklist. Don't try and get all of these things in here. But mm -hmm. recognizing the, the, cyclic, the cyclical nature, yeah. the presence of threshold mm -hmm. crossings, the presence of, of mentors and helpers is extremely helpful because you recognize what, they, what those people function as, what those characters right. or things yeah. function as it's, it's in like, other stories. It's like any of the formulas we've talked about, like the Hollywood formula or any of these, it's... It's about understanding what the pieces do and understanding their function in your story. And sometimes you swap things out because yeah. you want more well, vinegar. And, and a great example of that is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which has one of the strongest threshold returns that you'll ever see when they come yeah. back and they have to scour the Shire. Mm -hmm. The hobbits have learned something, they've changed, they become better, and so they have their homecoming, they come back, and they clean the place up. The movie took that out but replaced it with some other stuff that still fills the same role mm -hmm. of showing how they've changed and, and matured. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's take just a moment for the book of the week. Uh, we're going to go out on a limb and recommend to you Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, <laughs> um, which is, no. as we've said before, very dense prose. I listened to the audiobook and... Uh, you know what? It was a great experience listening to the audiobook because it expanded my brain. Uh, this is not transparent prose. This is dense stuff. There's a lot to be learned there. Um, and you can pick it up at audiblepodcast.com slash excuse after collecting your free trial membership uh, and uh, listen to this one for free. Um, All right. That, let's yeah. talk about how to use this then. We've talked about the warnings of maybe not using it. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've gotten into arguments defining different things, which I think, you know, they're... they're which the is thing emblematic about it is, of, of what it's like. Yeah, there, there's so much that you could... So many arguments you could make. Uh, mm -hmm. But how can this help you? I mean, looking at the, the Wikipedia page, or looking at... We have um, XDM in front of us, um, which is the, the Tracy Hickman and um, his son, um, 
Curtis Hickman, where they did a, um, a thing on how to be a great dungeon master. And they included a thing on the, the air journey. Just looking at the little symbol, the little thing, calls to mind all kinds of storytelling archetypes and things that you could use. Mm -hmm. So um, there's got to be good ways to do this. Well, my personal favorite is actually branching out a little bit. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows is Community. And the creator for that, Dan Harmon, has... I will say, condensed the hero's journey or, or altered it into what he calls a story circle. And you can find this online. It's really easy. Just look up Dan Harmon's story circle. And what it does is it takes the hero's journey and removes the epicness, hmm. which sounds like you're, you're removing the point. But really what he's doing is he's making it into a very cool story model that you can apply to any genre at all. And just very quickly, I'm going to read through these eight things. He says, a character's in a zone of comfort, but they want something. They enter an unfamiliar situation, adapt to it, get what they wanted, pay a heavy price for it, then return to their familiar situation having changed. That's basically the hero's journey, but kind of genericized a little. I right. find that very useful. It is. And I think that um, one thing that um, Howard's talked about and actually Tracy Hickman talks about in his book is we often forget the end. Right. We forget the, the homecoming and things. And I think there is a very important part to this homecoming that um, that we shouldn't forget. That is a big part of um, of this story. It's part of the catharsis that comes at the end of the story is having gone through it all and letting letting us see the character return to their familiar surroundings. Um, and, and, and it is important. Yeah, and, and you know, I keep talking about the mice quotient, but that's yeah. one of the, the mm -hmm. important things. Whether that familiar surrounding is a, an actual physical place or whether it is an emotional zone. Yeah. That, that having some sort of, of uh, things are stable now at the end is important, not just for the character, but for the reader to, to ease out of the story. One thing to bear in mind is that uh, the subversion of this is incredibly useful. I, I mentioned mm -hmm. How to Train Your Dragon before. Um, there's a point in How to Train Your Dragon where he has returned with knowledge of the dragons, and that knowledge is roundly rejected and and we have a plot disaster. Hmm. Um, in the monomyth, there are examples of mythology where our hero has a transcendental experience, returns with knowledge, and is rejected. Um, one of the most notable is the crucifixion of Christ, and mm -hmm. Campbell points this up as an example. Well, How to Train Your Dragon doesn't want to end on that note, and so we return with that knowledge, and then the story continues and the knowledge at the very end of the movie gets reapplied, and we have a subversion of, uh, of the model. And, and I would say one of the most important things with all of this is if you research it and learn it and, and start studying it, you can try to ask yourself the questions why. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the why is what's going to make you write a better story, rather than saying, well, I'm going to take this off and put in the virgin birth or something like this. I need a rather, mentor character. Rather yeah. say, why is the mentor so important? to the story. Well, the mentor represents the, um, the strange and can, re can be the thing that comes into the familiar world to, so that, you know, narratively, we like it, we're like, oh, it's a hint of what's coming. It's what the prologues we talked about in a previous cast, what they do. It gives us a warning, something cool is coming. It also shows us what the character could be. Yes. And so you don't have to include that mentor if you can somehow otherwise show this is what your potential is. 
Yeah, at the same time, if you recognize, oh, this character is functioning as a mentor character, yes. and that is the only thing you have them doing, that's yes. when it becomes dull and boring. Exactly, and, yeah. And if you can roll them into another function, mm -hmm. that's where it gets interesting. Um, I mean, there's uh, the, in one of the... This is actually something that pops up when, when you run into um, the, the noble savage or the right. magical negro archetypes, which are often mentor figures, but they don't do anything else. And they don't mm -hmm. have any desires or needs outside of serving the hero, yep. which is problematic on many different levels. And so if you understand what all of these pieces are and what they're doing and can make them do more than one thing, better fiction. Yeah. I was going to say, while, while you were talking about that, the one that, that jumped out at me is actually Ben Kenobi in the first Star Wars, mm -hmm. who seems on the surface to be just a mentor with nothing else going on. Yeah. But... The secondary function he is serving is to illustrate the presence of magic in a science fiction universe. Yes. He's yep. in this classic wizard's robe. He mm -hmm. fights with a sword. He's there to explain the setting to us. Yeah. Right. I will say that the Kenobi role is one of the few things that I thought was more interesting after having read the, or having seen the first. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, pr the prequels. The, yeah, the prequels. Oh, because, cool. He was a person. Yeah, yeah. Because, because that did give him a, like, that actually completely changes the way you view the movie. Um, and the rest of... Yeah. I, I have no problem with what the prequels were trying to do. Yes. I just have trouble with what they did. Yes. All right. Execution Ding. is everything. Let's yes. have um, a book of the week, Howard. Or no, you mean a writing prompt? Writing, writing prompt. Writing prompt. <laughs> I've, almost, I've done that like three times. I'm going to tell you. That's because you one. said book it, of the week okay. this time. I, I've got one for you. Mm -hmm. What I would like you to do is take Goldilocks and the Three Bears uh -huh. and apply the Campbellian monomyth to it and write a short story. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses, now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 